We want you to become an honorary gosling. Join us. You'll get exclusive access to conversations and content that would otherwise get us banned from social media. Plus, you'll get free digital downloads of some of our books and selective writings. And check this out. You'll get to participate in our live monthly Discord chat and more if you join our exclusive Patreon following that we like to call The After Party. It only costs $5 a month, which is basically a cup of coffee, and it helps us make the show better. We love you guys and can't wait to see you there. Become an honorary Goslings at patreon.com forward slash the Goslings and sign up today. Your YouTube feed is crap. Stop wasting your time watching bot-boosted shills and self-appointed gurus cloying for your attention. Instead, join the Goslings interview, live stream, and podcast. The Goslings, a dark-lit digital speakeasy of free thinkers. A super chat of radical truth-seeking wizards who eat trolls for second breakfast. Topics that'll make your mama's hair stand on end. Ideas that'll make your pastor's knees knock. Guests that will illuminate the hidden chambers of your mind. And interviews that strike down the darkness. Welcome to the Goslings. You know, we wouldn't be allowed to say on YouTube anyway. And if there's anything in particular that you want to talk about or address, uh, or anything in particular that you want to avoid talking about, Mm -hmm. let us know. Just let me know. Very cool. So I do the editing and all that on the back end, so... Yeah, no, and my take on the there, there's nothing that I need to avoid because there are a lot of aspects of this particular topic that are somewhat taboo. It's stuff that evangelicalism doesn't really want to talk about. Like we still blush when people want to talk about things that are sexual or supernatural, especially those two topics in particular, I've noticed. And the fact is, there's no way we are going to be able to expose the deeds of the devil in this particular agenda if we can't grow up and have adult conversations about the supernatural and the sexual, because Mm -hmm. they are massive components to this thing. And if we just continue to have Victorian uh, discussions about this kind of stuff, we'll never get to the bottom of it. And Mm -hmm. my, my biggest concern is that one of the aspects of this that doesn't get talked about a lot is uh, this is this sleep paralysis agenda is being used as a tool to groom our children And children don't necessarily have the knowledge or the life experience or the vocabulary or the understanding to know what's happening to them. They don't necessarily know this stuff is dangerous. They might know it's scary, but there are sexual and grooming components to this in children as young as three years old. And so if we just sit here and continue to pretend like we're in the 16th century and we we blush because we can't talk about this stuff like adults... Your kids and your grandkids are are being targeted, and it's a time it's time to talk about this stuff. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that is powerful stuff, and <clears throat> that's a big problem. That's a big problem in the church. Uh, that was actually something that I was going to ask you. Um, you know, why do you think? You know, churches churches are okay with a man who walked on water. And a man who rose from the dead, they're okay with the flood. And we asked this question to Gary Wayne also, you know, because mm-hmm. you guys Venn diagram pretty nicely in a lot of ways when it comes mm-hmm. to the church. Um, you know, they'll they'll read about 
Jesus exercising demons, mm -hmm. the apostles exercising demons. But when you bring up modern day demonic possession, you know, why do you think the church blanches from this topic? Yeah, absolutely. It, it is amazing to me. I, I have parroted that same sentiment to many people, and that is the the Bible is one of the most supernatural books on the planet. Ellie uh, Marzulli calls it the guidebook to the supernatural. I love that. Absolutely. But and, and in fact, if we read scripture and we knew its context, if we knew the culture, the language, the history, the geography, if we took those five components into our Bible study, and we didn't just read 21st century American Baptist pew warming doctrine into what was going on. If we actually knew the culture and the language, the geography, the history, the traditions, if we knew that stuff, the Bible is actually far more supernatural than we even know, because there's things that we just gloss over and we don't think anything of it. Like, uh, I'll give you one example, even though there's many. Uh, Joseph puts his cup in Benjamin's sack a couple times. And, yeah. and so we just look at it like, oh, he had this, like, you know, like he's some like rapper with his golden chalice, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> Get his chains and his blades. <laughs> right. He, he had his clock necklace. And, <laughs> you know, so, so, but if you actually read deeper into that text, or if you go into the book of Jasher, or if you read extra biblical texts, it was a mm -hmm. divination cup. Okay. Ouch. Oh, oh, oh no. Yeah. Okay. The, the the dreaded D word. Okay, now we're scared. Now as Christians, we're scared. Right. Cogn cognitive dissonance has kicked in. Is the Bible supporting divination? Was uh -huh. Joseph like so? Oh, no, no. Let's take the word divination out because it's going to creep too many people out. And let's just say it was his royal goblet. And we'll all just mm. think he was so rich. He had a gold cup. He had a no, little was... John chalice. <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, that <laughs> little was Joe. Is right. That's right. <laughs> That was a divination cup, people, whether wow. whether we like it or not. And yeah. we, we can discuss whether or not he was buying into it. We can <clears> discuss whether or not that was occultic. How much knowledge did he have? Um, yeah. There, There's also in the book of Jasher, to, to use the same example, he doesn't just say, yo, Ben, you're my bro. Like how Benjamin finds out that Joseph is his brother is he takes him into a room by himself and he calls for a map of the stars. It was called the Maseroth back then. It wasn't the, yeah. the Zodiac. You know, yeah. he calls for the Maseroth and Benjamin using a map of the stars is able by process of elimination to truncate down the exact position of his brother. And by reading the Maseroth discovers that his brother is sitting before him. But this stuff is taken Whoa. out because we get eebie-jeebies <clears throat> over anything that strikes mm -hmm. at the supernatural. And this is, I think, one of the very clever, diabolical things that the enemy knows how to do. He knows how to take things that were created by God that initially had a purpose to glorify God and point towards the Messiah and to unfold redemptive history, such as the stars. We know from Genesis 1 that the purpose that the stars were, were, were created were for Moedim. They were for the reading of times and seasons. So we know from Genesis that looking at the stars and garnishing information from it is not a cult. Yeah. But the occult have stolen it, and they've stolen a lot of other things. They've stolen yes. the word meditation. They've stolen mm -hmm. many things. And so then we as Christians, we hear things like, um, 
they've co-opted the rainbow. They've yes, the everything like that. And so okay. the cognitive dissonance kicks in. It's very real. We start to think like this is new age, this is a cult. But right. if we if we knew the history and the culture uh, of our own, the roots of our own religion, we'd understand that a lot of these things were initially created by God. There's deep mysteries in these things that that aren't arcane. They're not a cult. A cult yeah. is secret knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, yep. in, yeah. in the book of Enoch, it talks about um, Azazel uh, spilled the mysteries of heaven to, mm -hmm. to man. But then it also goes on to say that you didn't even give them the good stuff. You didn't even wait around in the heavens long enough. You got this like the cheap you know, stuff. You got the the what's it? It, it says the worthless mysteries <laughs> is what it says in Enoch. Wow. So, so yeah. and you know, I always tell these people that are astral projecting and who are are trying to garnish these sleep paralysis and these supernatural experiences, like they're going to get some sort of knowledge, and it's like the knowledge you're going to get is the worthless knowledge. It, yeah. it, it these these entities in the astral realm that are coming to visit you in your bedroom at night. They are basically kindergarten dropouts. They were up in the heavens. <laughs> yep. <laughs> they they were taken, you know, mysteries the Gregorian of Gregorian massive, <laughs> yeah, underachievers. You know, right? They you're are. basically getting the, the used. You're getting the used Western romance section uh -huh. instead yeah. of like the classic literature. Yeah, right? you're absolutely. The you're yeah. absolutely. The I mean, if you think in terms of, I mean, you kind of are. You think the erotica section yeah it's all the Walmart. garbage yeah you know <laughs> exactly exactly yeah just think about the knowledge that the heavenly angels must have now after thousands yeah. and thousands or billions of years of continually having the mysteries of god revealed to them and taught to them yeah. like think how much more knowledgeable they are than these dropouts who thousands of years ago got a few sparkling little <laughs> you know uh pieces of, of, of gold dust and came down here and couldn't wait to share it with us. And, uh -huh. you know, we're, we're, we're beneath them. So we're like, Oh, wow, this is awesome. Right. But it, we it's just, it's nothing. It's, it's worthless information. I want to ask you a question about that. You know, the, those angels don't have access back to Correct. that third heaven. And I was hoping you might maybe take a couple of minutes and just kind of when, when you, when you hear the term third heaven or when you use the term third heaven, second heaven, so forth, can you explain kind of what you mean by that? What that looks like? Yeah. I'm glad you gave me the opportunity to explain that because I found that that's another triggering word for people. And apparently there's entire doctrines wrapped up into this and that. And so basically what, what I mean when I say second and third heaven, and I'm not married to either of those terms. Uh, we, we, you can say whatever you want, but what, what scripture is attempting to do, I think, in Ephesians 6.12, when it talks about the heavenly places, um, is that it's, it's differentiating that there is a realm or a dimension that is an imitation, a mockery, a bastardization of the throne room heaven. And so we have to understand that there is a throne room where God sits and rules and reigns. And then we have this bastardized mimic version of that throne room where the evil people who are pretending to be gods uh, reside. So I really don't care what you call it. You can call it the astral realm, the astral dimension, the heavenly places, the, the heavenly realms. You can call it the astral. You can call it the upside down. You can call yeah. it the metaverse. I don't care what you call it. You know, mm -hmm. you, 
it doesn't matter what you call it. It it doesn't matter. And and I'm not um, attaching any sort of like doctrine to it. I'm just trying to come up with uh, English words so that new agers understand that I'm telling you your heaven is not the heaven I aspire to go to one day. And so that Christians understand uh, when I'm talking about uh, these, these, you know, experiences that you're having at night that you're misconstruing as some sort of Apostle Paul, Elijah experience, because you're flying around in the heavens with an angel. And like, you've got to understand that there is a bastardized version of that heaven. And they know how to mimic the Holy Spirit. They know how to mimic Jesus. They know how to mimic angels. They know how to mimic knowledge and love and and, and all that. And you have to know how to discern the spirits and know the difference between the two. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> well, so many, so many people, I've heard you mention this in some of your other interviews. Uh, so many people blanch from the word astral in the Christian community. Yes. You know, they, <clears throat> they're regarded as, you know, new age mumbo jumbo, you know, they regarded as something, you know, Joe, you know, you do with Joe Rogan, you know, in a, in a sweat lodge, you know, with some DMT, some ayahuasca. Yeah. But like the thing is, it's just, uh, and you, you have the same problem that like Nick and I kind of have in to a greater degree, but like Nick and I are novelists. So like, I write about the wars between the angels. Nick writes about like that's right, kids' know, fantasy, children's fantasy, children's fantasy, yeah. but logos driven. Oh yeah, very fantasy, much so. Very much you so. know, homeschool safe stuff. Yeah. And like, <laughs> so you know, when homeschool you're, safe. Yeah, super safe. <laughs> yeah, but it's cute. Um, but you have the same problem uh, where you know you have to articulate these thoughts, and you only have so many words in the common lexicon that you can trade in and a lot of those words are landmines and so Mm. it's like you have to disarm the landmine before you can use the word yes it's so true it's so true and so allow me to disarm a couple of those right now yes yeah please astral and again this is one of those things that the new age has taken and so we're immediately on guard and Mm -hmm. and i'll just say we, the reason why I don't really get upset with people that that nitpick nitpick me is we we are told to be good Bereans. We're told to test every spirit, and so some people, you know, might be a little high strung or a little like trigger happy, right? And maybe not everybody is best that good at communicating their their fears, which is what it is, which which yeah. is lying at the bottom of that. But um, I know that we all do. Um, we kind of make assertions as to whether or not someone's a false prophet or not, depending upon what they're saying. So when you start throwing around words like astral and, Mm -hmm. you know, astral realm and stuff like, yeah, I can only imagine how some of the baby boomers must interpret some of the stuff that I'm saying. It must be kind of scary. And I empathize with that. But the word astral, if you look it up in the dictionary, and this is something that I wish more people would do. I just really want to encourage people. Hey, it's 2023. Uh, When you start hearing trigger words this year, go to the dictionary. Actually, <laughs> right. actually look and see what those words mean because a lot of uh-huh. these words are loaded and they really don't need to be. <clears throat> Astral means of or pertaining to the stars. That's so that, that's all it means. And we know that God yeah. created the stars. Mm-hmm. Every, every single thing that, that pertains to the stars has the fingerprints of the star's creator, which is is our God, Almighty God. And so there's nothing 
evil or occultic or new age in and of itself of the English word astral. And so what I like to, to break down is if you go to Ephesians 6.12, that heavenly places or high places, I think some translations call it, the Greek is epouranios. And it, it it's a very interesting word. It's specifying, kind of like we've already talked about, that there is a high place that is very much like a heavenly realm, but it's not the throne room of God. And the reason we know it's not the throne room of God is because it states right there in the verse that the uh, the archons and the principalities and the powers and the rulers of darkness that live there are our enemies because our battle isn't against flesh and blood. It's against yeah. these enemies. Where do these enemies live? They live in the heavenly places. Well, they don't live in heaven, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Epiranius, it's a, it's a very cool word. And one of the aspects, um, you know, the just the timing the perfect unfolding, you know, as you guys as fiction writers and as writers will appreciate this. I don't know if you guys have ever done a deep dive into um, looking into the aspect of God's character as a God is the author of life and he's the author and perfecter of our faith. Like God is an author. And one thing I like to point out to people is, you know, we don't have a lot of examples in scripture of God speaking for great lengths and giving big speeches, but he talks a lot in the book of Job. And it is fascinating to me how he talks like a poet. Like he's not like saying, he's not talking like some highfalutin, like King James version pastor, right? And he's yeah. not using big technical theological <laughs> words. He's talking in poetry. Like yeah. God is an author. And I would go on to say he that he's he is a poet. Mm. And I think that one of the reasons why God chose the timing of the writing of the New Testament in, in the epoch of time that he did is because Koine Greek is a vast, vast language with many layers where words, words can mean whole concepts. And, yeah. and it, it's, it's almost like no other language could, could contain the truths that were trying to be explained. And so one of those examples is the word epiranios. Um, yes, it means heavenly places. It means a dimension uh, between the heavens of, of God and the heavens of earth, right? It's, mm -hmm. this, it's this liminal space betwixt the two. But okay. there's another aspect of epiranios. <clears throat> if you go into like the, the Thayer's Greek lexicon or something like that. And what it says is that these... Um, ah, these rulers of darkness that 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 live in the Epiranios, uh, the the Greek word there for darkness is skotas, s k o t a s would be the English equivalent. The skotas, the darkness, and these rulers of darkness who make their home in the Epiranios, in the high places, in the astral. One of the the layered meanings of the Greek word skotas, or the layered meaning of darkness. It doesn't just mean scary or bad or sinful or evil. It means also, it connotates the idea that this darkness is, is, is able to succeed in its deception because it's banking on human ignorance of divine wow. things. It mm -hmm. actually says in the Greek there <clears throat> that human it's the darkness that is the result of human ignorance of divine things. And this is why 
we have to stop being overly frightened of words like astral, astral projection, astral realm, not because we're encouraging it and it's something that we should do, but right. because if we lack the knowledge of what that is or what the agenda is or what they're doing or why they're doing it, or mm -hmm. most frighteningly of all their end game in why they're doing it, mm -hmm. uh, then we are to the exact place the scriptures tell us we're going to be. My people perish for lack of knowledge. It doesn't say atheists are past, or it doesn't say agnostics are, it says my people, my yeah. people are perishing for lack of knowledge. And so we have to find this fine line of discernment. We have to find this fine line where we don't become titillated and right. we have too much intrigue in what, what, what's going mm -hmm. on in secret. Yep. Um, but, you know, even the prophet, you know, even Ezekiel in, in chapter eight was brought to the the all the places in underground and in the temple where these occult things were happening. Um, the the prophet had to know that stuff was going on. It broke his heart. He was devastated to find out that the priesthood was actually worshiping the devil. Basically, occult rituals mm. were going on behind the walls in, in the temple of God. But Ezekiel had to know that. And he wrote it down, which means that for some reason, God wanted every generation of believers to know that sometimes the, the, the wolves are in sheep's clothing. And sometimes mm -hmm. um, the devil is so operative in, in what he's doing that it's going on underneath our very nose. And so when we hear the scary things, when we start hearing about satanic ritual abuse and we start hearing about various things in the occult and rituals and occult holidays and sleep paralysis and astral projection, it's not for everybody, guys. I know God doesn't call everybody to dive deep into these things, yeah, but, sure. but this is the reality. This stuff is happening. Yeah. It is affecting the people that we love. It is affecting believers. It is altering the sanity and the spiritual uh aspects and the faith and the eternity of people who we care about and we can't help them if we continue to foster an environment where no one's allowed to talk about this stuff if they do talk okay. about it they're shamed or they're ostracized or they're medicated uh right. we have to have we always have to be ready to have an answer for those so when when someone comes up to us and hey if you're a pastor if you're a you're a youth group leader, if you're a mom, if you're a grandma, if you have a child or a, a parishioner come up to you and say, these things are coming to me in the night, they're attacking me, they're raping me, they're, they're frightening me. If the only thing you can do is send them to the world, send them to a psychologist, send them to a, a you know, a hypnotherapist, send them to a doctor, send them, you know, just give them a sleep apnea machine or psychotropic uh -huh. medication. If that's all that we can do within the church, yeah. if we cannot acknowledge that there's a spiritual component to this, if we cannot yep. acknowledge that the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour, what what's the best time for the enemy to attack? He's a bully when we're asleep, when we're, we're vulnerable, there. when we're vulnerable, yeah. when we're yep. a child, when we're innocent, yeah. when we're, we're when we're ignorant of these things. And so it is time that we we stand up and we put on our armor and we we start delving into these things as the spirit leads, uh, because when people come to us with with this. 
we have to have a knowledge that it exists and we have yep. to give them a better word than they're going to get elsewhere. Because if you don't give them a word, they're going to go elsewhere. Yep, and the, right. word, the word that they're going to get elsewhere <clears throat> is going to get them deeper and deeper entrenched into this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're going to go to the first place they think they can talk to someone who doesn't think they're crazy. Yes. So they're not going to go to their family. They're not going to go to their friends. They're going to go to either the church or a psychologist or psychiatrist. Yeah. A therapist, a counselor, yep. a therapist. <clears throat> yep. And if they go to the church, Nine times out of ten, I'm guessing. I don't know this, but you know for certain. But it seems like the church is just going to say, "Well, before we diagnose this as spiritual, mm-hmm. let's make sure you talk to a therapist. Yeah, let's make sure you're not crazy." It's like we—that's our default. That's our go-to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really scary to me because there's a lot of. I mean, psychology, psychiatry isn't exactly rooted. It's a soft science. Yeah, soft science. If, yeah. if you can even call it a science. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it and- might be the one thing that Tom Cruise had right. <laughs> Agreed. Aside Agreed. from being That's an good. awesome actor. That's good. <laughs> Agreed. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, and what's really scary about that, too, is what a lot of people don't realize is despite the catchy title, they only come out at night. The fact is, the more accurate title would be they only come out when you're in an altered state of consciousness. And so mm. that can be. That can be drug-induced, it can be alcohol, it can be a rage, it can be sexual, it can be anytime vast amounts of dopamine are releasing from you. So it can be like a rock concert, you could be headbanging, it could be a sexual experience, it could be ayahuasca, it could be yoga, meditation. It, it, there's a million ways that you can be in these altered states of consciousness and be susceptible to these doors opening and being influenced by these things or terrorized by these things. And so what's kind of frightening is a lot of the solutions that the world provides to uh, comfort uh, and a means of settling your spirit and in, in these areas are things that also put you in an altered state of consciousness and are actually further opening the door. So like if you under like hypnosis or if you're like meditating, all these things that they're now telling you to do, um, bring, bring a medium in to sage your house, all this stuff. What, what you're actually doing in many cases is this kind of, I'm not to be controversial, but there is a rule of the spiritual realm. It now, the world has made it out to be like, this is a rule of, of the evil entities only, or this is a rule of monsters, or this is a rule of vampires. It's actually a rule of the entire spiritual realm. The spiritual realm cannot interact with us without an invitation or without permission. This is even why we pray to receive Jesus into our heart. We invite him into our heart. That language, why do we invite Jesus into our heart? Mm -hmm. Because the spiritual realm has to have that permission. And I don't want to, I don't want to ruffle feathers. Jesus can do whatever he wants. He's all powerful. Okay. But he's honorable. He's a gentleman. But but he's set up some ground rules and behold, I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door. So yeah. there's there's things that we have to do. We have to swing the door open. We have to hear it. First of all, we have to invite him in. And uh, my, my book goes into great detail about the significance of threshold covenants, not only yeah. with Jesus um, entering into our hearts via permission, but these vampiric entities that are, they're coming to us at night. They're appearing as an anti- bridegroom 
Jesus is our bridegroom. He comes in the middle of the night. He knocks on the door and says, can I come in? Uh, Revelation 3.20 is, I believe, linked to uh, Song of Solomon 5.2. The bride was asleep, but her heart was awake. The bridegroom came to the door and knocked on the door. My love, my sweet. He wanted to come in wow. and have intimacy. He could not come into that chamber unless she heard the door, got up out of the bed, and opened the door, which in that case, she didn't. She was half asleep, so she, she couldn't do it. And, and so when these shadow people and such come to our bedroom doors at night, because a lot of people who talk about this say they wake up and they see a shadow figure by the door, mm -hmm. these things are trying to gain <clears throat> entrance into the Tamian chamber, into the betrothal chamber. This is the Song of yeah. Solomon 5.2. It's a bastardization of Song of Solomon 5.2. They're coming in the middle of the night to have intimacy. They're, they're posing as a bridegroom. They're not the real one. This is why a lot of these things turn sexual, because once you permit them into your Tamian chamber, what happens in, 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 in that, in real life, once the bride invites the groom over the threshold of the Tamian chamber, they consummate the marriage. That's where, right. that's where that happens. And so this is what's going on. And so um, what is very ironic and sad about how clever these things are is a lot of times when they when a person has had a sleep paralysis experience, the door isn't open yet. They're, that's the knock at the door. That's the shadow person seeing, can I get the invitation? And a lot of times then when people say, Jesus, help me, or, or they start quoting the Lord's Prayer or Psalm 23, and the thing leaves, it's because they knocked on the door and you said, go away. No way. I, yeah. I don't want anything to do with this. So <clears throat> what happens then is, the entity goes away and the person has not given invitation and they have not opened a door, but then what do they do? Because they're scared and they don't know what's happened and they're confused and they don't have the knowledge. They go to people and they're told, oh, start to meditate, have a medium come in and sage your house, mm -hmm. do this little ritual in your home with some salt mm -hmm. or something, or, or um, mm -hmm. you know, these are all things that then give the invitation because now you're inviting um, yeah. a spiritist into your home and they're saying, if someone's here, speak. So you're now interacting with it and uh, with the um, like hypnosis, uh, any, anytime you're trying to figure out who that shadow person is or you're trying to communicate with it or what's your name, like anytime you do stuff like that, you're now engaging with this entity and you're showing an interest like i'd like to figure this out you know whether mm -hmm. you have your own motives your motives might be i would need to figure this out because i want it to stop mm -hmm. but what a lot of people don't realize is just because you have a sleep paralysis episode doesn't necessarily mean there's a door open sometimes it is them trying to gain the access and it is the lack of knowledge in the way that the person then reacts to the sleep paralysis yep. that is what actually gives them the yep. invitation. Because it's the choice. Yes. It's, it's how we handle it. A lot yeah. of people have had, I mean, I would say millions of people have probably experienced some form of sleep paralysis, yeah. this, this event that happens. <laughs> we have. And I have personally just last year, as a matter wow. of fact. And it was very much like and this is one of one of the things i wanted to ask you about yeah by the way vicky um 
you are such an awesome guest that like you have answered a couple of our questions. We have oh, like 10 God. questions on here. Yeah. And then, uh, but this is, Nick is finally getting to like our first official question. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I is, love this it. This is fantastic. Um, but <laughs> I, Nikki Joy Anderson, author of They Only Come Out of Night. The only Killing book. it. <laughs> it's, a, it, it's a great book. And it really, it really, really piqued my interest because we had discussed a little bit just right before I heard about you and your book being released. Uh, on one of our live streams, we were talking about uh, alien abductions and how I had a dream that was very much like one of the sleep paralysis events you described in your book, like one of those many cases. And, uh, and I have other family that have had these experiences. I have friends that have had these experiences. And then, you know, reading your book, it sounds like millions of people have probably experienced this and they don't know where to go. They don't know how to make a stop or what it means. And there's like different just kind of levels and experiences. People see different things, hear different things. But I was shocked at how consistent a lot of the elements are to these, these experiences. So what I, the question is, did you experience something like that? Is that what drove you to write this book? Like, tell us about the origin of this message for you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, sleep paralysis is something that I have experienced I believe my entire life, my first sort of memory of it is at four years old, but I have other things that happened before that, that lead me to believe it probably started earlier. Now, with that said, even though ever since I was 10 years old, I wanted to be a writer, that's what I was going to do. And yet it never was a conscious thought in my mind that I was going to write a book about sleep paralysis. It was not ever, you know, it wasn't anything that I thought about. And, um, so what ended up happening was I was having these experiences from a very young age. And uh, I, I have noticed, and I do talk about this in the book, that I think that sleep paralysis is very common in children if there's some sort of trauma going on in their life. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when we think of trauma, we go to some, some of the standard things, you know, like sexual abuse or you know, it could be um, losing parents or, you know, being given up for adoption or, or witnessing the murder of a parent or, mm. you know, there's all we think of all of these like uh, really, you know, tragic things. But there's other types of trauma as well. Um, and like medical trauma is one, like if a child is born with some sort of an illness or a disease and they are subjected from a very young age to uh, medical procedures and things. In, in the brain of a newborn infant, if your parent is handing you over to a stranger and every time you're handed over to that stranger, he's inflicting pain upon you. Mm -hmm. uh, even if it's a surgery, even if it's a doctor and that scalpel is to heal as an infant, as a newborn, you're not gonna register that any different than if your parent is handing you over to an evil person who's tormenting you. You know, there's the, the mm -hmm. brain only knows every time my caregiver relinquishes me, <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm, I'm inflicted to things that are frightening and scary and painful. Yeah. And so uh, I, it, it took me decades and I, I was very skeptical at first. I was reading about um, childhood trauma and very particular types of PTSD associated with childhood trauma. And it kind of, it, it wasn't even um, an area of research that I was going into for my own benefit, but I do a lot of work with Tom Dunn and Through the Black. And so we we deal with spiritual warfare and stuff and SRA and um, exposing occult rituals and things like that. And so I was just learning about that stuff. 
and learning about uh, trauma as it pertains to like uh, satanic ritual abuse survivors and things like that. And in my research, I was finding that they would also classify medical stuff as as people can disassociate and have alters and they can like a lot of the same things that happen to trauma-based mind control people can happen to kids who had all these surgeries and things when they were a kid. And, and wow. I was extremely skeptical when I first read that mm -hmm. because I thought there's no way in the world I'm going to take my privileged life where I had born again, Christian parents who got married at 19 and never stepped out on each other, never got divorced, were married almost 50 years until my mom died, had went to wonderful Christian schools and had wonderful churches. There's no way in the world I am going to take my ideal life and compare it to people who've been traumatized and tortured and victimized. And just because I had a couple surgeries when I was a kid, you know, and I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, you know, downplaying it. You know, I mean, I, I had my first surgery at 10 days old and wow. had surgeries wow. for 15 years. And I was always in the hospital, always at a doctor's appointment, all, you know, getting my face ripped off and reconstructed over and over and over again. Then you go to school and you get teased and you get bullied. And so I right. think that by the time I, I, I got away from that, um, I was like, oh, cool. I, it's over. I don't have to have any more surgeries. I don't have to go to school anymore. I'm a grown up now. That's all in the past. And I don't think that I realized uh, how, how much of an advantage and an opportunity the demon world has with people who have been through trauma that they have minimized um, I never dealt with it because I didn't know I had to deal with it. I, I had a great life. I was a happy kid. I had friends, you know, I had all these surgeries, I had stuff going on, but I, I really had a great life. So I didn't grow up thinking that I had been traumatized and it was, it took me many years to accept the fact that, uh, that was going on and that these entities took advantage of me as a child. Um, and, Basically, what is really diabolical about sleep paralysis that that is attached to young children who are in dysfunctional homes or who are in traumatic situations is really when you live those kinds of lives, the only safe place where you can finally get away from the hurt, the, the trauma, the pain, the torture, the teasing, the surgeries is when you go into your own bed at night. And so you yeah. go in and you go into your bedroom and you grab your favorite little stuffed animal and you're, it's mm -hmm. comfortable and it's warm and you've got your own surroundings and yeah. there's no kids there to tease you. There's no doctors there mm -hmm. to rip you open. There's no, you know, this is, should be mm -hmm. the time where you can take your deep exhale and you can be safe. And so yeah. then these entities come to you while you're asleep they get you at the only time of the day where you should have some relief from that and they get you there too so what happens is you end up mentally in this sort of foxhole mentality where you're in survival mode at every moment of the day because when you wake up you have to go to school and face all the kids that are going to tease you after school you got to face all the doctors at the doctor's appointment uh, summer vacation you got to have the surgery and mm -hmm. at night, these things come and scare you and torment you and um, frighten you. And so what I didn't realize since the sleep paralysis for me lasted until I was 40 years old, 
I didn't wow. realize that I had been basically on the most extreme survival mode adrenaline rush for 40 years. Like there wasn't Jeez. ever a time to like let out a breath. That starts that that can affect your mental health. It can affect your spiritual. It can affect your walk Absolutely. with God. It can affect your your emotions. It can affect your inability to feel emotions. It, it shuts mm -hmm. you down. And and so um, <clears throat> so I think the reason why I was willing to write the book because believe me, I I didn't have this mentality, guys, where I'm like, oh man, sleep paralysis, that'll sell a million copies. Like that that's really not <laughs> that's not what I was thinking, right. um, because this is very personal. And so it's not yeah. it's not like I'm, I'm a very introverted person in my, in my private life. I'm a very private person. I even have friends like I've known you 10 years. I don't know you. Like I'm a very <laughs> like private person. So getting online and telling everybody in the world, especially people who are, are poised to be critical that mm. this happened to me. And there are aspects to this that are embarrassing and shameful. And there's aspects of this that, just make me feel weak. And, um, and so this is not a prized position for an author to be in, you know, like we all want to go out and write that great American novel and make a good living. But um, I, I had to weigh in the balances, everything that I would have to give up with my own anonymity. And when, when you've been through trauma your whole life, the best gift in the world you have is anonymity. Yeah. These people that get on TikTok and Facebook and want a million subscribers and introduce everything in their life to strangers, I cannot conceive of it. Anonymity yeah. is like the, the greatest gift in the world to me would be being invisible and no one knowing my name. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I've had to, I've had to work through that too, because I don't want to have this um, Moses complex where, God says, okay, I want you to do this. And I'm like, no, send someone else. Like, so right. I, I had yeah. to work through that as well. But when I weighed on the scales, the loss of my own anonymity and my own privacy, and the fact that I'm now understanding that millions of people are going through this mm -hmm. and thousands and thousands of God fearing believers who are actually holding on to their faith in God with, with, with white knuckles because they can't square why they're being demonically attacked and targeted when they <clears> truly <throat> believe in Jesus. What have I done wrong? And they're exhausting themselves trying to pray every prayer over every bloodline and every ancestor and every Masonic mm -hmm. tie and any curse. And is there a charge object in my home? And I, I'm sorry, I played with the Ouija board in high school one time. And I'm sorry, <laughs> I, you know, and, oh, and yeah. they're exhausting themselves trying to to close all these doors and they they can't talk to anyone about it and um it it, it is just a uh, this is a pandemic among the church i think you know we can talk all we want about the things going on around us but these are internal uh battles that some christians have been fighting with their whole life and it makes them feel like a hypocrite right. if i was really a christian i wouldn't be getting attacked by demons i must have an open door and mm -hmm. for for those of us where it's attached to trauma and then there's detachment involved with it, uh, um, it's really difficult because you carry that over into your spiritual life. And so you're having devotions and you can't just turn off and on your entire emotional system. So if you've shut down for for decades because of trauma or because of hurt or rejection, 
or because of these experiences and it's affected your sleep and you're up till three in the morning every night because you don't want to, you know, and your dreams are exhausting. And even when you don't have sleep paralysis, your dreams are exhausting. And um, so that kind of person doesn't just go into their prayer closet every morning and grab their Bible and you go, <laughs> oh, I, Jesus, I feel so close. Like when you shut yourself down emotionally to survive, <clears throat> Yeah. You can't just flip it on when you're in your prayer closet. And I've yeah. just been talking to people a lot lately. And this is just another area where I've had to be really vulnerable because I prayed to receive Christ um, into my heart in 1975. I was three years old. I don't even remember doing it. My mom said I was at the kitchen table and I, I've always known him. I've always loved him. I've, I've led a godly life. I've pursued holiness but I struggle in my prayer closet to have affections and emotions. Um, it's all up here. You know, I, right. I can write the book and I can articulate, you know, the doctrines and then I can talk about the Greek, but <coughs> what, what people don't understand is this sleep paralysis is, isn't just talking about nightmares or, Ooh, let's talk about demons and vampires. And this is cool. Let's come up mm -hmm. with a cool topic to titillate our <laughs> subscribers. So we get more <laughs> subscribers. Like, no, what, what you have to understand is, the people that have suffered with this aren't just having nightmares every now and then. It is affecting the mental, emotional, spiritual, physical health of this individual. Yeah, and yeah. um, and it, it is, it's, it's actually difficult um, because then there's aspects of guilt and shame as well as desire. When when you're in your prayer closet, when you've been a Christian for 47 years and you're still in your prayer closet saying, Jesus, I want to feel close to you. I know that you love me and I know that I love you, but I just feel dead. Mm -hmm. to, to be yep. 47 years into your journey and still be struggling with that, yeah. like that that is difficult. Um, that that and, and I don't think I'm alone in that. So when I weigh the balances no. of you know, writing a book like this and putting myself out there and the potential criticism and mockery and whatever. And, and I can handle, uh, let me tell you one thing, guys. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing that 18 years of being ridiculed by my peers in school did for me. <laughs> Impenetrable <laughs> armor. <laughs> I, have a, I have such a thick skin. You can call me yeah. ugly. You can call me stupid. I, I, it, it like, it literally means nothing that, that, you know, that's the double-edged sword. You yeah. go into your prayer closet mm -hmm. and you're tormented over the fact that you don't feel emotions when you try to connect with God. But guess what? You don't feel emotions when people make fun of you either. Right. So yeah. it's, yeah. got it's, it's got it. So that made me feel like, well, you know, I, I've been looking at this maybe out of the wrong, maybe out of the wrong lenses because um, this topic has to be talked about. We yep, have to start having intellectually honest discussions about it. Pastors have to start educating themselves. Parents have to start knowing that your kids are being groomed in their sleep and it's not going to come out until they leave for college and they come home and tell you things that you thought your little homeschooled darling is never going to struggle with yeah. stuff, you know, so someone's got to talk about it. So yeah. I've been through it. I've got a thick skin. I, I, I'll, I'll be the one I'll, I'll be the martyr for the cause. Right. You know, that's <laughs> fine. You yep. know, send your cards and letters here. I don't care because the fact of the matter is there are brothers and sisters in Christ being tormented by this who yep. are, are being pulled into false doctrine and into new age versions of Christianity that is going to kill their soul. There are, 
that we have to we have to yep. minister to these people. Yeah, yeah, and that leads perfectly into my next question because the church has to deal with this. You, people are going to come to the church and they're going to say, "I'm experiencing this. I need help," and the church mistakenly, foolishly, might send them to, uh, as we mentioned, a psychiatrist, psychologist, whatever. Um, and they might be, or they might be yoga class or yoga, something yep. that is going to make it yep. even worse or invite it in. Yeah. And that ties in a little bit of what you talked about in your book. It goes back to the uh, Asclepions. Can you kind of, def you know, first of all, tell people what that means? Sure. But but how how we have a modern version of this now? Can you kind of touch on that a little bit? We do. This is great. I yeah, I struggled with this chapter because I thought, oh, I gotta take this chapter out. People aren't gonna oh, see yeah, the tie. Gosh. They aren't gonna see the tie between this and sleep paralysis. I'm getting too far off topic, you know. And no, my gosh, so no, it I, was so good. And it might I, end up being I, like I, one of the most vital linchpin I chapters. Talk, the I book. talked about that chapter <laughs> with my wife and other people, I think more than many of the other topics except maybe oh, threshold cool. covenants yeah, yeah. Um, oh yeah it's a oh yeah it's great i'm sorry to interrupt please I, that was i loved it like this is one of those things that the holy spirit just kind of like threw in my lap one day like this writing process i can't i can talk about this with you guys and you'll get it because you're writers but when when writers start talking sometime about what the inspiration process looks like especially if you're a christian where the holy spirit is in that mix um People who don't understand it will will be like, okay, wait, what are you talking about? That sounds spooky. But it's just mm -hmm. like um, this, the writing process for this book was so unique from the very beginning. When I felt called to write the, the book on this topic, I was like, oh, I've had this for 40 years. This is going to be easy. And I literally oh. had my hands to go down on like the, the keyboard and the Holy Spirit told me, do not regurgitate. And I was like, oh, in other words... Um, you know, you know, when we're in fifth grade and we learn how to write an essay paper for the first time, I don't, I don't mm -hmm. know about you guys, but the way I, that the way I learned how to research in, in elementary school was go to the library, um, look up your topic in an encyclopedia and basically oh. rewrite that article, but use your own words. So it's not plagiarism. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly what I learned. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's not research folks. That's copy. Yeah. That's, that is 1980s version of copy paste. Right. Yep, so yep. Mm -hmm. um, research means like the same, it means the same way it does in academia where when you write a master's thesis, you're, you're coming up with a thesis that has not been discussed before. Now there's nothing new under the sun, but you get my drift that to, to research something, to just cobble together a whole bunch of other people's research and ideas that that is not research. And so when I realized, okay, yeah, I think that most of what's been said about this topic up to now is bogus. It's misinformed. It's out and outright disinformation. And so I don't have time to sit here and write a book where I just talk about all the stuff like, hey, if you want to know what the Internet has to say about sleep paralysis, don't read my book. Go on the Internet. Google to your heart's content. Read everybody's yeah. stuff. It's already out there. I don't I don't need to put my name on it. It's already out there. So <clears throat> what was crazy is when when I realized that I couldn't regurgitate anything, I realized that even though I had experienced this for four decades, I didn't know what it was. And I didn't know why they were targeting me. I didn't, I realized that I couldn't write one word on it. And so I had to spend weeks 
weeks before I could even start the first chapter because I was praying and fasting and I wasn't going to write until the Holy Spirit told me what to write. So one of the first things that this Holy Spirit led me to, and this is to finally get to your question, was these Asclepions. And I'm like, what in the world does this have to do with sleep paralysis? And and I it was just, it was the weirdest thing. And one of the coolest things about this writing process is I'd be sitting there staring at my computer and I would, I would have a couple of dots and I would, I knew that they connected somehow, but there was like that missing stuff in the middle. And I knew that there was a missing dot and I would pray and I would get an extremely specific Google search uh, string in my mind it would usually be two or three words. Right. And it was always words that you would never put together because they have yeah. no correlation to each other whatsoever. And I would put the Google search in and I would get a gold mine of information. Interesting. And so I really just felt like the Lord was a part of that process, like just feeding me these, these Google searches even. And so it was just a really, it was an extremely arduous, mentally tiring um, Sounds like it process but at the same time very exciting too because when those dots came together it was like i cannot believe yeah. this i cannot believe this so yeah cool so that the asclepian was was part of that and so um i also just want to note that i started writing this chapter in 2019 so the world was much different in 2019 yeah, and so that. when you start writing things that is in essence bringing scorn and and upon the entire current medical field, I thought I'm going to be obliterated. I'm not going to be taken seriously. No one <laughs> yeah. is going to believe that, that there's perhaps demonic roots to, to our current system. So yeah, you're not going to be on Joe Rogan. You're going to be a punchline on Joe Rogan. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, <clears throat> it also took a lot of faith to write this book guys, because yeah. a lot of the stuff that I wrote, I 100% knew that the Holy Spirit was telling me to write it. That's but because awesome. I wasn't regurgitating and because I was connecting dots that don't really typically connect to each other, I published the book thinking, maybe I'm just a nutcase. Maybe my brain is, you know, all over the place. And it really wasn't, talk about a, a Red Sea moment where the sea doesn't part until Moses got up waist high in the water, right? Yeah. It wasn't until the book was published that God started sending me emails, personal testimonies, showing me articles, um, talking to other researchers that these things that I was the most doubtful over were 100% confirmed for me. And so yeah. um, the, it, there was a lot of, of just faith in having to write this book, knowing that this yeah. is what the Lord is telling me to write down. And, yeah. and I cut half the book out. I, the book was three or four times bigger than this. And so even just the mm -hmm. faith to know like what to cut out and what was pertinent to the, you know, what was germane to the topic. And so yeah. I realize I'm taking forever mm -hmm. to get to the question, but um, I, I just want people to understand that this writing process wasn't me just trying to come up with a bunch of cool fringe topics that I thought would be titillating and sell books. Like that really yeah, yeah. wasn't a part of this. Yeah. So with the Asclepions, I discovered that back in the, at least the first century and the second century, the, 
there weren't hospitals. You would go to temples if you wanted healing. And that's even in the Torah. That's even in the Old Testament. Um, when Jesus healed people, he didn't send them to Luke. Uh, Luke was a doctor. Like, hey, say, okay, you're cure your leprosy. Have Luke check you out. He's, mm -hmm. He said, okay, you've been healed now. Go to the temple and present yourself before the high priest. And, and the, the high priest was that that medical opinion. And, and so these Asclepions were the healing temples. And they, they were a lot of other things too. They, they were gymnasiums, they were spas, they were kind of uh, psychiatric clinics. Uh, some of them, the large ones, they had, you know, um, um, theaters in them and stuff too, which I think, I didn't go into detail in the book, but it's very, very interesting to me that part of the Asclepion healing process was a theater. So Hollywood was sort huh. of part huh. of this. Part of your healing, part of getting <clears throat> your mindset into the right place where you would be receptive to a spiritual astral type of healing was that mm. you would attend the theater every night. And I wonder what mm. the content of those plays were. I wonder what those plots Dude. were. Dude. Yeah. You know? And, and so we see the same today where so much of what we believe about our healing and our health and our diet and what we should eat and shouldn't eat and what's good for us and what's not mm -hmm. is being fed to us, not <clears throat> really directly, by by the World Health Organization or by some institution or some medical doctor, it, it it's coming to us through yep. our television sets. And so yep. oh, yeah. um, there's an inextricable link that goes all the way back, I think, to the Asclepions where theater, drama, mm -hmm. um, the playing with our emotions and our, um, our mind has, has have to do with that grooming process because the Asclepians weren't ultimately about healing. They were ultimately about worshiping Asclepion, you know, who was the serpent God of healing. And oh, if you yeah. go into the history of who Asclepion, the serpent God of healing was, he was the son of Apollo, who was a God, a mm -hmm. Titan, a watcher, mm -hmm. and he had a human mother. So we know just from that <clears throat> description that he, uh, Asclepion was, um, Asclepius rather, Asclepion is the temple, Asclepius was the god, that he was, um, he was a demigod, he was a Nephilim. Nephilim and, yep. so, and so if you go into a temple where Asclepius, the serpent god of healing is worshipped, and he heals you in the astral realm, and then you offer a votive of gold to in payment of thanks and worship and gratitude for this healing, that's not a hospital anymore. That that is you have now entered into a a worship scenario in mm -hmm. with, with, with a, a God who heals you. And you know, I I don't want to go into the realms of Christian science where you know we completely throw the baby out with the bathwater and right. we can't, we can't take a bare aspirin anymore. And anytime we have a headache, you know. I mean, like I already told you, I spent the first 15 years of my life in hospitals and I yep. had reconstructive surgery. I have a life today because they were able to reconstruct a face for me and my doctors were intelligent. They were kind. I owe, uh, I owe my livelihood right now to the fact that those doctors were able to help me. So sure. don't hear me, don't hear me saying anything above and beyond. Same. But, yeah. But the fact is that um, the Hippocratic Oath, if we go back into the original Greek language, uh, 
it is not, a, this is where we hear a lot of people saying when, when people talk about euthanasia or they talk about abortion or, you know, they talk about some of these gender issues that are now, how can these doctors do it? They're going against the Hippocratic Oath. Guess what? Yeah. <laughs> they are not. They uh -huh. are, in fact, keeping their <clears throat> covenant because yeah. the Hippocratic Oath, you are swearing your allegiance to Apollo, who's the father of Asclepius. You are pledging, uh, I think it says Apollo. Asclepius, Hygieia, Pansia, and the Pantheon of the Gods. It's it's Greek. It's a Greek document. So it's talking about the, the, yeah. the Greek Pantheon. And so um, I I don't know if doctors still take this Hippocratic Oath. I don't know if they've modernized it into English and they've changed that. But the fact is the true intent of the Hippocratic Oath is that you are going to carry on the work of your mentors which is what the wording of it. And those mentors are Apollo, a watcher, um, mm -hmm. Asclepian, Asclepius, a Nephilim. Mm -hmm. uh, you are going to carry on the work of your mentors. Well, what did our mentors do? Uh, they came to kill, steal, and destroy. They came to de yeah. literally devour mankind. And so yeah. um, the, 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 the serpent on the pole that we see to this day in our medical facilities and you know, on our prescription pads and, and on mm -hmm. the side of ambulances and stuff. That is the actual symbol of a Nephilim god, a serpent god. Wow. It, it, it is the yes. symbol of Asclepius. Mm. Yeah. And and so just to give a little bit too, so some people are, are wondering how in the world does this tie into sleep paralysis? It ties in perfectly in this. Um, these Asclepions, uh, you would go to these things and if you were one of the lucky ones who was chosen, because there were people that would go to Asclepions and be turned away. And yeah. interestingly, this is another thing that carries on into modernity. If you were a pregnant woman, they would not touch you. Goodbye. Go home. It's your problem. Yeah. And if you were an elderly individual, go home. They didn't want any death in the Asclepions. They really? didn't want, they didn't want birth or death. <clears throat> and so pregnant women, unborn children, uh, elderly. Again, here we have the vulnerable. Same thing with yeah. sleep paralysis. They attack the vulnerable. Uh, and I could, I had to take a massive chapter out of my book where I talked about the Lamash two demons. The, it, this is the same as the Lilia, the Lilu, the, the Lilith, the screech owl. Um, this screech owl <clears throat> demon was a female um, she was known as the goddess of menstruation. She was known as the goddess of pregnancy, the goddess of sex. She was basically the antiquities uh, explanation of SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome. Yep, she would, she right. would prowl. Yep, she would prowl the streets at night. And if you didn't have the proper, you know. I think uh, I've dated her a couple times, actually. <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> I mean, you know, most of the ex-strippers I've known fall into this category. So <laughs> that's right. That's right. Be careful who you swipe left and right to, people. Uh -huh, right, right, yeah, right. yeah. No, I'm sorry. Um, anyway, so she would think, prowl around. Right. She would prowl around the threshold. Here we have that yeah. end of the threshold. And mm -hmm. if your threshold was not properly secured, uh, spiritually or physically, she would enter in, and she was most known to kill infants. Yeah. fetuses, you know, so it could be a miscarriage, it could be a sudden yeah. infant death syndrome, that sort of thing. So anyway, um, there, the, the Asclepions would not let in pregnant women or the elderly. And so 
take that into modernity with abortion, with euthanasia. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I think in Canada, they passed or it's passing a law where no questions asked if you want to be yeah. euthanized. It doesn't matter how old you are, how healthy you are. If, yeah. if you're just sick of living, your boyfriend dumped you, whatever you want, yeah. you can go in. They will end your life for you, you know? And so... Um, <clears throat> They've even already been caught encouraging veterans yeah. to consider it. Oh, I think, did we that... ask Gary because Wayne they're about a drain that? on the system. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. I'm trying to remember if we asked Gary Wayne about that. We did. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was a Patreon. It's horrible. Yeah, it's yeah. dark. It's yeah, very, very dark. Yeah. Yeah. They they have a commercial for it, and like you're practically crying at the end of it. It's like a Folgers commercial during Christmas time, and you're like, oh, and then you're like, wait a minute, this is crazy. Like, yeah. You know, but again, they haven't advertised for yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but again, yeah, it looks it's like, like something out of uh, Avatar, in a way. Yeah, I mean, it's yes, you it can does. Never grow old and never die. Just upload your consciousness. Well, no, it. it's like the, the the cinematography, the art form. <clears throat> really? It's not it's not animated, but they but it, but the cinematography is, is like it's like you're in that world, and it follows the story of this young lady who is has some kind of disease, and she wants to end her life. And so this commercial is about all of her loved ones coming around, having a big end of life celebration for her. And, oh, it's just around the life tree. Kind of. You know? Yeah. Kind of before, yeah. you know, and you know, but that speaks to plug. like the sickness, uh, not just like the sickness, but the disconnect of, of the human spirit and culture and society from God. When that commercial can, even get made, let alone get made, yeah. and then no one like burns the studio down. You know, yeah, I know, like, I know. Even a hundred, yeah. even like yeah. eighty years ago, you know, we yeah. would have we would have marched on that place with oh. torches and pitchforks. Absolutely, right? you know. Well, and so, it's interesting too because the commercial that I saw, I don't know if they use this word, but they they made it out to be like the woman that chose to die was a hero. Like she was so right. courageous and brave. Yeah. Cause she's doing a service to her community and country and the medical industry. And she's not taxing right. and being true to herself too. Yeah. Oh yeah. What's in her own know. best interest. Right. Yeah. And wow. it's, it's interesting cause this even ties in this whole, the, the, the misappropriation of the word hero. Like let's go back to the dictionary. Like we we're talking about earlier. This is another yeah, word real, that doesn't, it does not mean the same yes. thing it used to mean. Gary um, Wayne talks about this too. Yeah. Hit us. with Yeah. That. Yeah. Like I remember the last time hero was used kind of appropriately. The word hero was being thrown around a lot during nine 11, the, you know, the initial nine uh 11, -huh. cause there were people sacrificing their lives to save other Americans. And, and so hero was kind of a theme of, of Americans for, for a year or two there. And, you know, the, was it, is it Todd Beamer who, you know, let's roll. And, and so it was all these hero stories and, mm -hmm. you know, it's very much in our culture anyway, where whenever there's a tragedy, will some, it, it's more palatable to us if there was some sort of a hero in that story, because then we can kind of get some beauty out of it. Mm -hmm. And so now our heroes are um, people having certain surgeries and uh -huh. killing themselves. Yeah. And, I know Derek Gilbert talks a lot about the mm. origins of that word hero and yeah. um, he goes into the, uh, the original languages of it and actually pulls it into its original language that it's actually the Titans. And it, it, yep. the, the original heroes were actually these, these rogue watchers who came down. And so I actually, I was upset you when I first started hearing the word hero being used inappropriately, but 
I really actually think we're starting to use hero more accurately now than ever before because we are ascribing heroism to the people that are mimicking the mm -hmm. original heroes, which are the Titans mm -hmm. and the Watchers. And so yeah. um, it, I, I don't think it's that we're That's ironic. The, yeah, yeah, it's like we're yeah. not calling people heroes. We're finally, I think, getting to the root <clears throat> of what that word actually etymologically really means. But yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I I go off on wild tangents, guys. I'm sorry, but this <laughs> no, it's great. Yeah, no, well, I mean that's uh, that's the funny thing. I I remember noticing that in the in the the Greater War on Terror. I was about to quantify it with some years, but it doesn't matter. Uh, like you really are only a hero if you die for something, you know, or you yeah. sacrifice or you get maimed, you know. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> it's very rare for heroes to live to have a, a hero's ticker tape parade, you know? Yeah. Just about all of them are like in a symbolic way, passed through the, the fires of Molech, you know? <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. um, talk, uh, well, I'm sorry. Did you, did you have a thought you want to continue with? Cause I have, have like a dozen <laughs> questions. <laughs> yeah. And while you've been talking, Vicky, like it's I so have good. one, two, three, four, five, Six, seven, yeah, seven, seven other questions that I've generated since. So, yeah. well, well, I, I'm not helping because I, I, it no. takes me forever to get a point. But I, I'm passionate about this stuff, guys. There's like, there's so much to this, and I get so passionate about it that it takes me forever to answer a question. So I hope I'm not driving people nuts. No, <laughs> no, this is what people love. People yeah. like the deep dives. People like the long form. You yeah. know, this is. <clears throat> I mean, we still. We still cut these up or Nick cuts these up into, you know, little several minute segments, you know, shorts ah, and clips and stuff yeah. uh, to make it more palatable for the casual viewer. But um, but truly, like most of our bread and butter is like people who they want to sit down and they want the long answer, yeah. cool. you know, especially on topics like this. That's right. Um, My kind of people. Yeah. And and the, the yeah, for, for real. Uh, and, and the next uh, the next several questions I'm going to ask you are going to be not on youtube they're going to okay. be on you know platforms exclusive to just you know patrons uh but before we do that where can people go to find your book yeah yep absolutely thank you so to get they only come out at night it is available exclusively on lamarzuli.net so go to la's site and click on the store and you'll find me there in the bookshelf and I do have other books uh, that don't necessarily pretend, pertain to fringy stuff, but I do have, think have like seven other books. And so if you go on VickiJoyAnderson.com, uh, you can go into the book section there. And I've got some poetry, some young adult fiction. I've got um, some devotionals, uh, stuff on prodigals. I've got a couple books on the agenda of the LGBTQ um, um well, the, the LGBTQ agenda, so uh -huh. um, stuff like that. So if any of that's of interest to you, uh, you can check out vickijoyanderson.com. But uh, They Only Come Out at Night is lamarzuli.net. I also write for Real Dark News. So if you go to realdarknews.com, um, and that is associated with Through the Black. I do a lot of work with Tom Dunn, and uh, some of your listeners might recognize that Tom Dunn was the protege of the late great Rust Isdar. So we are trying to carry on his work of, in his in his towering shadow. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And if people who are watching this have had these types of 
experiences and uh, they want it to stop, what are the first two or three things they should do? In, in, in what, what are the first two or three things uh, as far as getting help that's going to be effective? What, yeah. what do those look like? Absolutely. I do. Chapter six of the book really focuses in on what to do before, during and after a sleep paralysis attack. And it goes into many other aspects of who targets are and um, how to not be a soft target, things to pray against. There's a prayer mapping exercise in there as well, where you can really pray and ask the Holy Spirit to get to the source, like what is the actual open door of this. Uh, but I, I think I think what I would tell people is sometimes what not to do in this, in this situation is a lot more important than what to do. Um, if it's on the internet, don't do it. Like literally like, okay. don't do it. I mean the, a lot of, of the uh, assurances that are out there on the internet, like that this is, um, really common and it's just a sleep disturbance and your brain's just defragging and don't worry about it. And there's nothing spiritual about it. And, mm -hmm. um, or, you know, <clears throat> go and get yourself some NyQuil or whatever. I'll tell you guys, the last thing in the world I want to do, if I'm in a situation where I have nocturnal visitations, where I can't move and I can't wake up, the last thing I'm going to do is take a sleep aid where I can't wake up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, yeah. So, <laughs> Stuck in Ooh. this, you know, imaginarium, <laughs> you know. <laughs> right, right. Having no, purple Zequil hallucinations. <laughs> uh huh. And you know, there was. Hey, if you guys have been enjoying this interview and you'd like to hear the rest of it, including some really down and dirty stuff that we're not allowed to say here on YouTube, uh, head over to patreon.com forward slash the goslings. We'd love to have your support there and share exclusive content with you. That's right. Keep it cool. And remember, these are interviews that strike down the dark. They do indeed strike down That's the right. darkness. They strike down all the darkness. That's right. Strike it down hard. So hard. So hard. Well, that's it for this episode, guys. We would love it if you tell your friends about the show. Maybe leave us a good review. And also consider becoming an honorary Gosling. An official exclusive membership to the Gosling gets you exclusive access to interviews and conversations that we can't have on YouTube. Plus, you'll get free digital downloads of some of our books and excerpts and writing. Uh, also, and check this out, you get to participate in a live monthly Discord chat with us. Uh, we do this once a month now. Um, all this plus more if you join our community on Patreon for just $5 a month. I mean, that's nothing. $5 a month, it's a cup of coffee. So go to patreon.com forward slash the goslings and sign up today. Thanks for listening. Now go forth and strike down the darkness. <laughs>